I'm Betsy Reed, and this is The Discomfort Practice, where I talk to creatives, activists, leaders, scientists, and a host of others about discomfort, about the role it's played in their lives, who they are and what they do in the world, and the value of discomfort in helping us move forward as a society. Discomfort is just the edge of your comfort zone, and on the other side are superpowers. So settle yourself in, and let's get uncomfortable. So this is the second time Traver Bohm is guest here on The Discomfort Practice, which means I am doubly excited. I'm always excited about my guests, but I'm like super duper excited about Traver. Like, oh my God, I'm such a fan. <laughs> you're a guest in season one and your episode yeah. is still like one of the top episodes people talk about, they message me about. My dude. Amazing. Love you. So I, I reached out to a few of my male friends who love you okay. ahead of time and asked Thank them you. for questions. I'm gonna make this brief intro to you. Sure. So if people haven't listened to episode 24, go back, listen to it. It is, it's it's an oldie and a goodie, um, but we have a lot to talk about. So I'll make this we quick. Do. So suffice it to say, Traver is still inspiring millions of men around the world to shift their experience of masculinity by mm. combining the primal masculine with the divine masculine. He's the author of the books Today I Rise, Man Uncivilized, and has also just recently written another book. Is a multiple-time TEDx speaker, a storyteller, a podcast host, which I watched his podcast just go from strength to strength, and I listen to it and love it, and is the founder of the Uncivilized Men's Movement, which is about harnessing the inherent primal power and leadership of men and coupling it with deeply conscious divine masculine. So it's about combining strength and consciousness. I love your website. I still just Thank ripped you. this off your website and Uncivilized <laughs> described itself as unapologetically male, dangerous, mm -hmm. but not a danger. No strength mm -hmm. without love is tyranny. No love without strength is victimhood. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a lot about love, actually. This is coming up a lot in all of my conversations about the answer to everything. Mm. So Traver combines all of these traits and you'll see in the socials that I do on this, if I ever get my my shit together and air videos of this, you will see Traver is a specimen of classic masculinity, the way that we think masculinity looks. Because he's a former CrossFit gym owner and MMA fighter, but he's also a licensed acupuncturist who does yoga and meditates. So I would describe you, Traver, as one million percent masculine, mm. which as somebody who actually identifies as very feminine feels like a really safe space for me. And I remember mm. that from our first interview, just feeling yeah. like, oh, my nervous system can just relax here. So it's an interesting phenomenon that if you're listening to this and you don't know what the heck I'm talking about, it's an interesting one to play with. If you mm. are sort of, if you identify very strongly as feminine or a masculine being, what's it like to be with someone on the opposite end of that spectrum? Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, it's a really beautiful dance. And hopefully this conversation will be an illustration of that. So I'm, I'm so looking forward to this conversation today. And I know a few, a few of you listening are also really looking forward to what unfolds. This is going to be largely unscripted. I usually send a fairly detailed brief and this one is not because we are just going to shoot the shit and see what happens. Welcome, Traver. Thank you. Gosh, what an intro. <laughs> uh, and I love the unscripted. I love just to see where things go. When I, when I do my own podcast, I always tell people, uh, so I know nothing about you and let's dive in. And so, sometimes that's a shock. And sometimes it's, 
even more just refreshing to see what's top of mind or what comes alive in these conversations. So thank yeah. you so much for having me on for the second time. I appreciate oh, it. It's a delight. Well, I listen to your podcast. I follow you on social media. I am, I am a fan. I'm just going to say you. it. So it does feel like I can just jump in mid conversation because I know what you're talking about these days. And there are so many juicy things. So mm. this is the first time I've amended that first question that I asked guests because you're the first repeat guest really. Um, so what is a moment since I last spoke to you, let's say in the last six months, an uncomfortable mm. moment that shaped your thinking <clears throat> or direction recently? Mm. I have had two, uh, if, I, if you're open to hearing two. You know, I went through a very interesting period in December. I got COVID and got a negative test the day before moving myself to Costa Rica for the winter with my partner and felt like shit down there for a couple of days and then bounced back. She ended up getting it. She felt like shit, bounced back, uh, had a really, really powerful week of just living there, surfing, doing all the things I went to do, writing, creating. I taught a class down there. And then she and I went and took an ATV ride down to this beach uh, about half an hour out of town. And I remember Betsy on the way home, kind of leaning back and saying to her, this is your life. Like, this is what the new iteration of your life looks like. And within five minutes, we have crashed head on into a fence, oh both God. been thrown off of the ATV. Uh, and I thought I killed her. And that is the dead honest truth. We didn't have helmets on. We didn't have protective gear on. We we're going pretty fast hit a bunch of potholes, like back to back to back, which jostled this thing. And so legitimately, I thought I killed my partner. And if that doesn't stop you in your tracks, <clears throat> it sure as shit stopped me and made me look at a lot of areas of my life of saying, huh, this seems to be a pattern, not crashing ATVs, <laughs> but of going too fast, losing control, crashing, and then having to recover. And the beauty of Central America, or I think the beauty of Costa Rica is how often it points out things like this. And so for the next 10 days, I had to, or two weeks rather, I had to take care of my partner who was physically injured uh, and deal with myself who was an emotional train wreck thinking that this had all happened. So that's the first thing. I then went into teaching a solid six-day workshop with my partners, Leela and Jeremy, and just had multiple people lose their mind, blow up limiting beliefs. Like we had all, just radical transformation in this workshop to the point where I was like, holy shit, this is intense. It is such an intense space to hold. People are just shedding old skins and stepping into new things. And on the last morning, I hadn't heard from my right-hand woman in two and a half, three weeks. This woman who's worked with me every day, marketing strategy, like my personal support when I have a dumb idea, I call her and she's like, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's great. Why don't we put that like Q4 of next year? <laughs> like, she knows enough to be like, yeah, 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 yeah. You're, you're, you're doing, I'm really proud of you. That's, it's a solid idea. Uh, and a family member of hers had passed away. So she asked for a little bit of time off and I didn't hear from her. And I'd reached out and I'd reached out and I got nothing. And usually I get like, I'm fine, good, just need some time. She's a New Yorker, you know, so it was like, uh, and so on a whim, on the last morning of the workshop, after the first 
busload of people had left and the second busload of people was waiting, I Googled her and I got a death notification. Oh my God. She had actually died two days after her family member had. And so that combination back to back, uh, you've asked like, what has been impactful has made me look at the speed at which I operate, the potential carelessness edge that I live on while creating something that's growing as fast as it's growing, and my own personal desire to kind of live in that intensity of, of an edge space, and also how fragile life can be. And uh, I won't say, I don't know how this woman passed, but I have an idea. And it reinvigorated my belief that people need help. And especially now people need help, especially what we've all gone through in the last couple of years. People needed, I mean, we all needed help like three years ago before the entire world just became a snow globe that got shaken with lies and gaslighting and and other tyranny. And so, yeah, those were the two pieces of slow down. Let's let's, and I immediately got on the phone with my whole team that day. I was like, guess what? We're slowing this pace down by 50%. We're, gonna, we're just going to slow everything down and we're going to shift heavily to a focus on relationship and mental health because one tends to lead to the other or they, they affect each other heavily. And if, if we're not talking about mental health right now, I don't know what the fuck we're talking about because I can sell courses on fitness and you know make more money and fuck more women and last in bed and all the things, but that's not going to stop a guy from picking up a bottle or picking up a gun. And that's what shifted with me in the last couple of months. I know it's a short and intense answer to a, or a long and intense answer to a short question, but yeah, that's, what's alive for me right now. Wow. Cause in our last, in our last episode together, we did talk about the men's mental health crisis that has been reaching even more of a crescendo, but actually just the reality that we are facing such a global collective mental health crisis because of the trauma we're all still going through that is Mm. built on a lot of undealt with trauma from our lives previously. So, I mean, bravo. That hit me actually as somebody who tends to live hard, play hard and crash. I'm trying Mm. to unlearn that pattern too, because it's not sustainable, but wow, to have such a literal smack in the face with that thank you so much for sharing that so openly because yeah, my pleasure. You're a public figure. You don't have to share that stuff, but it's you. You're very, you're real. You're real lifey for sure. Thank you. And, and it's, it is real. And, and that's the stuff I, I know so many people are going through stuff right now. Hard things. Uh, I've, I've just dove into like addiction rates and suicide rates and depression rates and kids who are ending up in hospitals for hurting themselves. And that's the stuff. I don't want this to be a a downer conversation, but that's the stuff we're not talking about. Mm -hmm. And yes, I focus on men and we lead all of those categories. And I'm not saying that women don't suffer in immense other ways or immense ways that we also don't talk about. Uh, But my platform specifically to men is, is going to be a lot around that. Well, that's your purpose and you're following it. And I have zero doubt that you are out there living your purpose fully and that it is about giving them this space and the attention and the the nurturing that they need in a very masculine way. But yeah. I mean, this podcast is, oh, 
bloody hell, it's the discomfort practice. We're, <laughs> we're going there. So yeah, no apologies needed. Thank okay. you for setting the scene. Because, you know, where do we want to take this from here? Because mm. where it sounds like what's happened in your personal life has really brought into sharp relief what you need to be in the world. And you were doing it before, but now it's, this is stage or whatever, two, five, 10, right. whatever in your iterative process. So what does that mean? Like, what are you bringing to people and how are they responding? First of all, I'm bringing a clearer and healthier me, which I had to really dive into. If I fall apart, this whole thing falls apart. And I say that to men a lot. And now I can say it with a bit more gravitas underneath it. And so the, the main focus I have at the moment, even though it's, it's a, a branded idea that sounds more egregious, is kill the nice guy. And I'm talking to men about their challenges, mostly that's in relationship, mm. mostly in relationship with women. But that's the frame. What's underneath that frame is every single way that they're out of connection with themselves, out of connection with who they are, out of connection with their own mental health, with their own physical health, with their own desires, with the idea that they're allowed to have something in the world that's uniquely theirs, with the idea that they're actually supposed to step forward and fucking do something with themselves. One of the challenges that I see with COVID was the beauties and the challenges, let's call it together, but more challenge than beauty because a lot of the population doesn't have the skill or the wherewithal to turn a challenge into a beauty, yeah. is that the mirror of death has shown up in front of all of us. Millions and millions of people who were like, yeah, I guess I'm probably gonna die someday, like 60, 50, 30, 40, 70 years from now, went, oh, I, I, I may not make it back. I can go to the supermarket and catch something that may kill me because we didn't know, especially yeah. in the beginning when we didn't know the severity of this. And unfortunately, what I've seen with a lot of men is they took that as a collapse or they took that and they collapsed. It added just enough of a dose of hopelessness of like, why should I care? Why should I do? Why should I? I'm, it's, it brought fatality as opposed to the freedom of realizing, yeah, you're going to die. So you might as well get up and start hitting some home runs. They took it as, oh shit, nothing I do really matters anyway. And so I'm seeing a lot of my work also is, hey, we need you. Yeah. We actually need you, right? I don't care about cultural messaging. I don't care about cultural conditioning and patterning. I don't give a shit what anybody else says to you, brother. We fucking need you. We need your genius. We need your presence. We need whatever gift you have to give to the world. We need your service. We need you in relationship. We need you in touch with your heart. We need you in touch with your balls. We need you in touch doing something in this world other than laying down and playing fucking dead. So get up. It's a little sticky, but I get a lot of guys who are like, oh, wow, fuck. Thank you. I didn't know. Because what did they reach for in the discomfort of fatality? Was it, you know, booze, suicide? porn what Every, what everything that can numb a guy look at look at pornhub's numbers they're through the roof look at alcohol sales through the roof i just posted something yesterday about od rates you know it's gone up like 30% we had od 30% increase in ods and and that was 2019 i believe or 2020 rather so we don't know 2020 to 2021 we don't know this past year oh. and men were double the number of women Right. And so I get it. Like, I'm not saying I, this doesn't make sense to me. It makes complete sense to me. If you're going to give up, if you feel hopeless, 
then then that is an ache that can't be like assuaged with few things other than a real strong opiate or your seventh drink or what or whatever it is that it that guys are choosing and and reaching for but what they're not reaching for is connection and it sounds so so cliche but they're not actually saying wow what if i had four other guys in my life who i could talk to about this what if i actually had a romantic partnership as opposed to saying well that's dumb or like women are x blah 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 blah, blah whatever it is that they're conjuring up mm-hmm. So it's a, I feel like it's a call right now of, hey, we need you. And there's also this opportunity that you may not have realized that a lot of other people in the world are also looking for this connection because we all lived on Zoom for two years. Yeah. People also now realize the value of a hug. They realize the value of a handshake. They realize what it's like to sit across the table from someone and have dinner and not wear a goddamn face covering. Mm. So it's, it's like, there's, I, I hope that there's a resurgence of connection, but un- unfortunately what I've seen is there's a resurgence with the top bar of the population, but not the masses. So many of the masses are like, well, you know what, this is now the new norm for me, you know, Thursday through Sunday, I'm just going to drink. I'm going to go to work and I don't give a, f- I'm giving up. And so that's, that's a big piece of what I'm seeing at the moment. Oh, that makes me so immensely sad. For one thing, I just feel this heavy energy when I think about that, because of course I live in this beautiful little bubble of interacting with very conscious people. So like you, you know, you see that sliver of people who are really doing the work and getting conscious. I'm like, both my partner and I have stopped drinking, you know, it's just happened naturally. I just lost the desire to. All sorts of crazy shit's happening up in here. I'm a non-drinking vegan. Never saw that one coming. (laughs) The power of an ayahuasca retreat to just wipe (laughs) out old appetites and be like, you know what? Okay, okay, wait. Discomfort here. Uncomfortable story (laughs) alert. So I was sitting on an airplane three years ago before all of this current hoo-ha kicked off, waiting to take off and having a chat with my spirit guides. As you do. And I was, remember, I was like, what, what actually will allow me to step into my full power? Cause I know there's something else there that I'm just getting in the way of. And they were like, stop drinking. And I kind of went, Hmm, no. <laughs> so, uh, three years later, <laughs> I went on our, pretty what else awesome, you got? <laughs> I, well, I went on this really beautiful ayahuasca retreat, uh, in late January with 26 other women. Here in Catalonia, which is like a hotbed of, of ayahuasca retreats and experts and shamans and lots of research going on here, actually. Beautiful. And sort of, you know, followed la dieta, the diet leading up to it, where you cut out, you know, anything fun and interesting, but then it just right. focuses you and cleans you out and, and the experience is so much more intense. And then afterwards, I was like, you know what? I am in high powered magic mode. Like it's, you have to be careful what you ask for when you're in this mode. Cause you're like, Hey universe, I want that. And it's like, zoom, literally. Mm-hmm. Okay, here you go. What else do you want? Mm-hmm. But I was like, if all it takes to be this magical and powerful is just not eating animal products and not having a drink, I don't even miss it. <laughs> I'm having way too much fun being magical. Right. So, right, right. and that, and that lands. So if anybody listening doesn't know, a big part of Trevor's story is you stopped drinking years ago, yeah. not because you had a drinking problem, because unfortunately we live in a society that teaches us that you have to have destroyed your life or someone else's before you get help right. or just cut it out of your life because you don't 
you need it, but it, I, I dare say, it made you even more magical, Traver. Yeah, and I don't miss it. It's it's the crazy, it's it's weird. It's like when I drive past a McDonald's drive-through, I'm like, oh, that's right. People still eat that crap. Oh, people are like, do you miss McDonald's? I've had McDonald's in 30 years. Same with alcohol. I'll walk through a supermarket and be like, oh, that's right. You guys still drink this stuff. <laughs> and, and it's not, it's not judgmental. It's literally a forgettance. Yeah. That like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Or, or walk, I'm like, I've been to a bar. I sat at a bar with friends and was like, yeah, I'll just have soda water. Thank you. I was like, oh, that's right. People are tripping over each other and puking. And you guys are doing this on purpose. Yeah. That's right. And I, again, I'm, I get it. People do it. I have no problem yeah. with it. It's not a choice I've made. Uh, it's also not a choice, same, similar with you, that 99% of my friends don't drink anymore. And none of them had a drinking problem. It's just, you get to a point where you want to operate at a certain level and it doesn't make sense to do that anymore. Yeah, it is treating yourself like you've got some serious stuff to do. And mm -hmm. it's not even, yeah, I just feel like I cringe to admit that out loud. Yeah, I'm a non-drinking vegan. I sound like the most <laughs> boring person ever. And that that person you don't want to invite to a dinner party, but boy, I can cook and I'm great at mocktails. But it is interesting because it's like, I, I know that the, I'm not the only one to ever go through this, but I have had that looking glass moment where you just realize you've been seeing the world upside down for so long. And then you start to look around and you're like, why did we set up systems in which the default is to put animal products into everything in right. which our diet is based around this and our socializing is based around this thing that kind of makes us fat, sloppy assholes, you know? Mm. And mm. it's just weird to have become that because now I right. get it. But it, you sort of are like, why did we set things up that way? It doesn't actually mm -hmm. make any sense because it doesn't serve us. Mm -hmm. And it's not that it makes you a bad person if you drink or, you know, it's not that I'm not being that person, but it's just such a, an unexpected light switch moment for me. Like the switch got flipped. I'm not even trying to flip it back, but like that appetite just went away literally yeah. overnight. And it's right. such an interesting process to, I didn't see it coming. And so I'm still kind of processing. It's only been a couple of months, but wow. For you. Yeah. Yeah. Just wanted to share because you definitely are inspiring because you are so outspoken about it. So thanks for being outspoken mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the general public that you're talking about there. Um, sure. What do we need to do to support people or how can we help people who are still on track to break themselves because they're not reaching for more consciousness or things that actually are, are good for them to cope mm. with the discomfort right now? I think that's a very multifaceted question. <laughs> uh, and my first answer is nothing. It's, and I know that's a challenging answer for a lot of people to hear. It's, I, I get this question every day. How do I get my man to X from women to be more open, to be more emotional, to be more, and I say, you don't. The exact way he gets you to do something that you don't want to do or you're not ready to do, you don't. But what you can do is be a shining example of what it looks like. You can be the result. You can be the benefit, right? If we're talking marketing, it's like sell the benefit, sell the benefit. I don't want to sell anything. But I know how, when I quit drinking, and just as an example, within a couple of years, a number of my friends quit drinking. And I didn't say a fucking word about it. It was not, it was just like, Hey guys, this is something I'm doing. 
Uh, I still want to be invited to stuff. Like, please still include me. You're my inner circle. I, I'm not proselytizing. Like, please. And, and they were super supportive. There'd be like ginger ale at parties and like no one said a word. Uh-huh. But yet slowly, one by one, they just stopped drinking. And when I would ask them, they'd say, well, it just looked like you were thriving. It looked like you were, you were so healthy. You were getting up early. You were doing like, God, look at the things you've built. I thought, well, if it's working for him, maybe it'll work for me. And so I believe that one of two, we, we can do a couple things here. One, we can continuously just be that example and live it without trying to pull people, without trying to sell people, without trying to influence people purposefully. Two, we can show people that they have permission. And I think that's a key word, especially for, for everybody, not just for men, but you have permission to actually experience something other than what you're experiencing now. You may not know that. You may not believe that. You may go, wow, I'm in pain, and that means I'm going to be in pain for the rest of my life. You say, okay, possibly, but I give you permission to actually use this pain to move through it. I give you permission to use this pain to build something bigger than yourself that you will then move into later. I give you permission to look at your situation from five different angles that you didn't know existed hmm. and you didn't know you were allowed to see it from. And that, and that's, we just stop right there. Like that's, that's enough. For a lot of people, that is the juice. That is the key to the, to the door. Like, oh, I didn't know I could live this way until I saw you living this way. And I have those same examples in my own life of like, holy shit, I didn't know you could do this until I saw you do it. So thank you. Yeah. And your doing it actually gave me permission to do it, right? It's the four minute mile idea. Mm. We can beat people over the head all day long and say, hey, you have to change. You have to change. You have to change. And most people won't, but we can find the people on the edge who are saying, hey, I don't really know how to change. And I don't really know that I can change, but I sure as shit would like to and say, okay, come with me. I'm mm. not going to throw you through some kind of rigorous 30 day rehab process. I'm just going to ask you to take this one simple step. Do you know that the things that you do, the things that you think, the way that you live can, aff- or the way that you think can affect the way you live? Do you have any, just that idea. Did you know that the choices you're making right now are going to affect how you live tomorrow? And for a lot of people, that's like, it's a mind blower because they're just caught in this hamster wheel of unconscious cause and effect. Like, holy shit, how does this keep happening to me? How does this keep happening to me? How does this keep happening to me? Mm. Right. I talked to multiple coaches, therapists, idea people, leaders after my accident. And they said, okay, well, where else does this show up in your life? I was like, oh. This is my financial situation. This is my health situation. This was how I love to, this is how I actually liked to live when I was a fighter. I want to go all in as hard as I can, beat the fuck out of myself, beat the fuck out of somebody else, and then spend two weeks lying in bed recovering and then start training again. Like, oh, well, what do you know? You just did it on a motor vehicle and almost killed someone. So now you know that your repercussions, how you live actually affects someone that you love. Hmm, now we have even more incentive to change. And I think that's also really important, especially for, for men, Betsy, when I say your kids are watching you, your neighbor's kids are watching you, your cousin, your, your nephews and nieces are watching you. So maybe not for you because it's sometimes hard for us to do things for ourselves. But what if you were the guy who quit drinking and that stopped your third nephew 
from becoming an alcoholic, beating the shit out of his wife and ending up in prison? Would you do it if you knew that was the possibility? And I get a lot of guys who'll scratch their head and be like, wow, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. I'm like, cool. What if I could show you that it would happen? Would you do it? Like, yeah, I would do it if you could show me. Like, I can't show you. But what I can tell you about is the thousands of people who have quit drinking because I quit drinking that I will never know about. That don't email me, that don't DM me, that I just will never, ever know about. But yet I believe that at this point in my career, I believe it with all of my heart. And I know that, yes, I may have a bigger platform than some people, but I also know that when one person changes, everybody, the ripple effects just go out and they go out and they go out. It's hard right now. It is hard. It is just hard to be human. Things are so uncertain. We have so many open loops from the last two years of like, wait a minute, but what about the thing? Like, I don't know for you guys, but COVID's not even in the news right now. <laughs> like, like three weeks ago, you couldn't get on a, like, I couldn't go to a restaurant in Hawaii without a card. And now today, like I looked on CNN the other day, it was like, Ukraine, 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 Ukraine. And I scrolled down to like the very bottom and it was like, COVID's a thing. Like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> oh my you know? god, I know, I know. This thing is just like completely no changed resolution. our paradigm. Yeah. Right. There's been no resolution. No, no one came on CNN and said, hey, by the way, the COVID era is coming to an end. So we need to have a little bit of repair from all you unvaccinated versus vaccinated people, people who are mean to each other, families who wouldn't let their kids come over. Like you guys need to you, you need to repair that and work on that so that there is completion and we can all move to the next catastrophe. But we don't do that. And so half of our brains are like, well, wait a minute. What about, wait, am I, am I just supposed to go to my parents' house now? They told me I couldn't come for two years. Uh, and they called me the antichrist and a grandma killer. And now I'm invited over for Sunday dinner and I'm just supposed to pretend that didn't happen. And that's on so many different levels. So yeah. my heart breaks for humanity right now. Yeah. And Truly. especially for all of the people who are not able to process that. They're not conscious that that has just happened. They, they, it, they know energetically it's happened, but there's no connection between their head and the rest of them that is screaming out for care and for nurturing and for healing from this trauma we've all been through. Mm -hmm. And so people are confused. And what do you do when you're confused? You just reach for the thing that comforts you. And you know, mm -hmm. going back to, you know, what people reach for in discomfort, a lot of people just, they don't have a practice that supports them to be well and connected to other people. But no, I think you answered that beautifully, which was about what do we do? And your answer was actually be someone who expands and don't be a missionary, just live it. Be, you know, do you, just do you. And trust that the ripples will go out there. And actually I was having this conversation with someone else yesterday about you do not understand the energetic impact when you decide to be fully yourself, when you decide to be kind to yourself, when you decide to yeah, do something that just feels right for you. Because what you said about permission was really interesting. Why do people feel like they don't have permission? Because I don't think that's a conscious thing, right? right. Is it cultural conditioning? Is it just that this is how society operates? Like, why do people not feel like they have permission to do things like stop drinking or stop doing things that are actually quite self-destructive? I think because there is so much energy in the culture 
to do things that are destructive and celebrate things that are destructive and to stay unconscious. There are massive forces behind keeping people unconscious. They're truly, I mean, from everything that we can think of insidious and also perhaps even just naive, but think of how much money is spent on alcohol advertising, right? Period. Think of, and here in the U S we get to have pharmaceutical advertising, which is mind blowing, but how many millions and billions and billions of dollars just go into those two, right? As opposed to the, what if we just got rid of that? What if we just got rid of those two? Hey, alcohol, because I think we did it with cigarettes. You can't have cigarette ads on the, in the television. We got rid of it. But yet, so there's, there's forces, but then there's also just the collective. Mm. There's people who say, if you change, that gives me a keyhole to change. And I don't want to change. I'm not ready to change. I'm fully engaged in this numbing. I'm just not, I don't know if I have the skill. I don't know if I have the support to actually mm. go through the process of changing the way I need to. And is it right? kind of down to a fundamental? fear of being thrown out of the tribe because if you're if you change your family might reject you your friends might reject you yeah so there's a, a fear there's a lot of fear of change there right and we're hardwired to fear change let's talk to men here mm-hmm. how can men be with that discomfort of maybe suspecting they want to do something differently maybe mm-hmm. they want to not watch as much porn or they want to stop drinking or they want to find a men's circle or find some conscious men to hang out with who they can actually talk about emotions with how can they be with the discomfort of that? And then, and then how can they process that? Where do they go from there? I have this a workshop that we run a couple of times a year called The Initiation. And one of my co-teachers is this brilliant therapist named Michael Gay. And he has a section in it called The Wild Inside, where we essentially take all the guys, put them in a room and say, here's the deal. And this is Michael's sentence. And I just got chills. So I know it's the right thing to say. Some things are too big to hold alone. And that, when he says that sentence, we have three guys immediately who just drop. You can see it. They're just now all fucked up. Because for the first time, look at at my arm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Goosebumps. (laughs) Yeah, goosebumps. For the first time in their lives, they realize, I don't have to carry this thing alone. And these are people from every kind of background and the most insane amounts of trauma to let's just say, quote, normal rates of trauma. But they just didn't know that they had someone else who would come carry it for them or with them. And so I say to men, the biggest lie we've ever been told and taught and that's been perpetuated culturally is that we have to handle our shit all on our own. And so when a guy actually gets that through his head and into his heart and into his stomach and goes, oh, that's been the problem. I, as a lone unit, have been trying to tackle something that requires four people to handle it. Mm -hmm. And what do you know? I haven't been able to do it. And I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I'll get the willpower and I listen to this podcast. I'm like, fuck yeah, I can do it. It's like trying to move a 2000 pound safe, right? If I was like, okay, I have to take this from the upstairs to the downstairs, me lonely, you know, and I'm a pretty solid dude. I can't do it. I've tried, tried dragging it. I've tried picking it up. I've tried putting it on my back. I can't do it. So it's not motivation. It's not skill. It's not strength. It's simply not something that can be carried alone. 
Mm. And if I could take that concept and just like plug it into the male collective, everything would change. Everything would change because I watch it change in these circles. I watch it change in these workshops. And what these guys walk out with, with this thousand yard stare of what just happened to me. I just let go of the thing I've been holding on to since I was three or five or 30 or whatever it is. And, and now I actually now have to learn how to navigate life without that trauma, without that story, without that hurt, without that pain. It's like, wow, my, my right arm was dead for 25 years. Now I have to figure out how to actually use the thing. And it's really that piece of, you're not alone, man. Like that's, it's such a fucking lie. I lived it. I lived it. I lived it. I lived it. I remember calling my best friend, my best friend. Like when I was going through my divorce, I'm like, man, I have been drinking a ton. I've been smoking so much dope. I've been looking at porn. I've been miserable in my marriage. I haven't wanted to say, he's like, why haven't you? Like we talk twice a week. You were my best man at my wedding. I was like, I just didn't know I could share this stuff. Right. And I'm not alone in that idea. I, I've talked to thousands of men since like, I just didn't know there's some like chip in our hardwiring that either culturally or, or however, it's, it's like in the collective that we're not supposed to do this. And so when we flip it and go, and this is the sentence, you hear it in, in any conscious group all the time. When someone's like, Hey, this is something I talked about this last night. I was like, I shared something in a men's group about being bullied when I was 14 and it was terrible. And it was, it fucked me up for a number of years. And afterwards, what do you think the guy said? Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate you sharing that. I'm so grateful that you shared that. It's giving me like, oh, not like you pussy. I can't believe you. I can't believe what, what were you not strong? Why didn't you hit back? Like, what, what, nothing. And so my, my system now realizes, oh, in safe container, share thing that I don't want to share. I feel good. Gives people other, other people permission. I get celebrated for it for some reason. It's not the reason I'm doing it. And then I have this rewiring of the cultural norm that says, get hurt, get traumatized, take it on, put it, bury it deep, pretend it's not there. And then, oh, explode, hurt somebody and feel like shit and go, God, I can't believe I did that. That's not me. Yeah. Wow. So much discomfort there because it is this, this narrative that traps well, everyone but particularly men in our culture that you can't share, you're going to get in trouble or you're going to get the shit beat out of you. But also right. the, the discomfort of, like you said, it's like having never used your right arm and having to learn how to use that, how to actually, I mean, I have trouble asking for help and, and accepting when people ask if they can do something for me. So to have that whole layer of what the masculine in our culture is supposed to do is woof, a lot of work. So what would you say to men listening to this who are like, oh, that sounds amazing. I would love to have some bros, some men, some support, but I can't find that around me. Where can mm. they find it? There's two ways to do it. You can find it, you can build it, or you can find it not in person, right? Like I've got 300 guys in a membership group who have team meetings all over, all over the world that are both in person and online. And I'm not pitching my thing, but if that's, that's available all the time, uncivilized. I'm nation. pitching your thing. I'm like, check Thank out you. uncivilized. If you're a guy who's listening to this and you're like, where do I find a men's group? Check out uncivilized. That's my plug for you. I was invited Thank you. to, but we, you're so gracious. It, it happens. <laughs> like we, we get it. We get guys in there and I watch the light bulb over and over and over and over and over. 
And I created it, Betsy, because I kept getting emails from guys four years ago. who are like, hey, I'm in Indiana. Uh, I literally have no one that I can talk to about this stuff. Or I remember a guy in, in the police department, um, a police department in a small town reaching out and saying, hey, the other guys in my department found out I'm meditating. I'm now the joke of the department. And I went, oh, given mental health rates with law enforcement, how apropos. Like, how dare you meditate as opposed to being an alcoholic or, or beating the shit out of like, all the problems that are inherent in that industry. Yeah. And so one, come join us. Two, there are groups everywhere. Yeah. There are live groups. And if not, here's the deal, man. Start one. Mm -hmm. And it's literally that you don't have to have training. You don't have to have a lot of experience. This is the frame. Hey, we're going to create a judgment-free environment where a couple of us are going to get together and we're going to share what's real. That I know guys who like, I teach this. I teach a leadership course. My partner teaches a leadership course. We run through, through guys, a whole system. But we also say there are meetings like this all over the world where no one has any training. They're just like, hey, what's real for you this week? Yeah. Wow, that sounds really hard. Man, I remember when I was getting divorced. That fucking sucked. Here you go. Give me a hug. Good for you. Oh, you just hit a home run. And you can't tell anybody in your life because you're, you're part of this crew that just beats each other down. Well, high five, brother. It's not just like these meetings and these gatherings aren't just like sob stories. <laughs> like truly, but it's really odd to think that a lot of men won't announce their own celebration. Yeah. Right. I'm this, I, I, he, I, he's, he is my best friend, so I can talk about this. And he, I've said this publicly. It was, I think, six months ago, my best friend texted me and said, I've written this text and deleted it three times, but I just made like 750 grand at this point in the year in my business. And I was like, bro, like I, I think I sung to him on voice on our like, FaceTime. <laughs> yes. like, this, we need to change this idea that you can't come to me with a win. Just like five years ago, we changed the idea that I can't come to you when I'm struggling. We need to be able to have both, right? Full expression, guys. We're after full expression. So where do you find it? Do a little bit of research. It's not hard. Man Talks, is the, right? Every man. Uh, mankind Project. Sacred Sons, if those guys are your speed. The Uncivilized Nation. There's, there's groups. If someone comes to me and goes, I literally can't find anything, I'm going to be like, hey, there's this radical website. It's called Google. Just put in like <laughs> men's group in my area. Granted, you may end up at a church. You may end up at an AA meeting. You may end up somewhere where you're like, ah, these aren't my people. Cool. Google again. There's more than one group out there and you will find your flavor. Yeah. One of my partner's friends was saying, he's like, oh, women have women's groups. I wish, I just wish there were men's groups. And I was like, I'm pretty sure there are like conscious men's groups. And I'm like, I know of at least two in Barcelona where it's sort of really masculine men's circles you know it's not woo woo fluffy scary where they you know just light incense all the time but also i came across a great one i can't remember how i think it's called dads and dogs and it's a guy in england oh. or wales who like they just go walk their dogs together and talk about stuff in pairs like what yes. a great model dads and dogs just start dads a dog walking group where the deal is you pair off and then you switch pairs and you talk about stuff that you need to talk about with another dude who's walking his dog. How cool is that? But they support each other's dads in particular. Which is a group that needs a ton of support. Yeah. Like these two questions, this is how we open with new guys. I'm like, 
what's something that you want to celebrate right now? What's something that's challenging you? Boom. That's, there's your deep dive into psychology. That's as far as you need to go. That just being able to articulate, and that's what's real. That's what we have to get back to bats. We, especially men, we have to get back to what's real. So much of what we see, so much of what we interact with, either social media, the news, culture, it's not real. And we're craving real. We're craving like, oh, you too? I, mm. I remember when I, I, I saw an interview with Tim Ferriss, who's like one of my all-time idols. Yeah. And he, he didn't come out and, and say like, I spent a year looking at porn. Remember he said like, there was a year of my life that I kind of lived on the couch and looked at websites that I shouldn't have looked at. And I was like, (laughs) how can that be? You're Tim Ferriss. You had a tough year too. Wow. Yeah. And and now you realize like, oh, everybody has a tough year. Everybody has their ups and downs. Everybody. This this is a good reminder actually, because, you know, we do see the Instagram glossiness of people. And I think there are more and more people being like, dude, this is this is hard for me. I see it in a lot of people who I admire, who they are so successful as influential thought leaders and mindfulness people and blah, blah, blah. And so many of them right now are going on and on about digital addiction. And I was like, oh, that's how they got so famous. They can't put their phone down. They can't have dinner with their partner without feeling panicked. That And I was like, okay, so maybe I'm growing what I want to do at a slower speed, but I, I don't have a phone addiction. <laughs> but yeah, sort of like, we need to admit this stuff, be able to admit this stuff. And this is part of this discomfort practice podcast for me. It's just like being more real and hoping that that gives people permission mm. to be more real. So I particularly appreciate our conversations because man, this is realness unplugged, realness on speed. And I love it. I love the swearingness in particular. So I want to talk about killing the nice guy more because this okay. is the question that I got from a couple of my dude friends. And okay. I think, I think it's, it's something that I just feel really strongly is so important for people to hear right now. So just expound on that. What is your work around kill the nice guy? You know, first we have to, d- to define it. Like what is a quote, nice guy. Then I put, I put the N and the G in capital that this is an archetype. I'm not talking about kill the nice person or kill the kind person. Like, please, please, please don't take that away from this conversation. But there is an archetype of a man who is quite collapsed, who is a chameleon, who is uh, desperate and only okay in the world when he gets validation mostly from women. This is a guy who is not okay in his own skin, not okay in his own body. This is a guy who goes, huh, one, I desperately need something that I quote, can't get. So I will find all of these underhanded manipulative ways to be around them, right? This is the standard dude who is, God, he's so nice, right? He's such a great guy. He's one of the girls, Mm. right? He gets included. Oh, like, let's have the girls over and talk about how much we're all sick of our boyfriends and we'll invite John. Why? Because he's so sweet. He's one of us. Right. And John is terrified of men. John is terrified of his own masculinity. John is pretending he doesn't have needs in the world. So he'll just hang out with them long enough and, and have a, like be there and just kind of be a blob. And yet he has very underhanded motivations and he is completely, com- completely collapsed in his own being. He's not doing anything in the world. 
He's literally terrified of his own masculinity. He's terrified of his power. He's terrified of his strength. He's had it beat out of him most likely or shamed out of him or traumatized out of him. This is the classic of a guy, a young man. Like this is my story. My mom was a very violent feminist. My two older sisters who were much bigger than me, very violent feminists. And, you know, I'm not saying violent in any other form than like we were siblings. So we all beat the crap out of each other. <laughs> so I was the youngest of yeah. essentially a household raised by women. My dad worked a ton, God bless him, but he was also checked out. He also drank a lot. He wasn't, he wouldn't stand up to my mom. And so what did I learn? I learned that if you upset the feminine, all hell breaks loose. If you are quiet and good and sort of non-existent and, and surround yourself with the feminine too, because you got to make sure that you're close to make sure that you're safe, then that's how you're okay in the world. Mm -hmm. And so there's this guy who thinks all I have to do to get my needs met and to be safe in the world is make sure I never upset anybody, especially women. Now, there's some, there's some tales on this, right? There's some like, oh, what's the other side of the story here? Yeah. This creeps I, me out because it feels quite dangerous. It's so fucking dangerous. I, I sent an email out uh, a couple days ago that most nice guys are predators. Mm -hmm. And I get a fuckload of kickback from that. Like, how dare you? We're not. We're, just, we're good people. You don't understand. Like, trust me, I understand you. I was you. Show me your internet history and I'll tell you how nice you are, mm -hmm. right? Tell me why you're hanging out, listening to someone, having a couple drinks, and then, oh, making out with her, or, oh, trying to stick your hand in her pants, right? Or, oh, really, you're just going to help a couple women move this weekend because you're so kind and you want nothing in return? Go fuck yourself. You're full of shit. Mm -hmm. I would rather you actually stand up and say, hi, I'm actually not going to help you move this weekend. What I would love to do is take you out on a Wednesday on an actual date because I'm really, really interested in having a relationship with you, but I'm too goddamn scared that you're going to reject me. And that's going to feel like I'm going to die. So I won't do that. So I'll just hang out here like a puppy. Mm. Right. And that's, that's a lot of these, I get, I get these guys in droves now because I was one, so I can speak to them. I know yeah. the patterns and I know the, the habits and they're miserable, but they're not happy. And the intense anger at women underneath all the, of that, the, right? Literally, this is a hard sentence to say, and I know the word is maybe different with a different audience, but I remember reading in uh, Robert Glover's book, No More Mr. Nice Guy. He had this list of like a checklist and it was like, you're desperate for female validation on one hand and therefore have to hate them on the other. So it's like, you're the kind of guy who will open the door for a woman. And when she walks through, go, you fucking cunt. And it was like, oh, yeah. How many guys do we know that are like, I'm only okay in the world if, if I'm around women, but man, this is an addiction. We have to hate what we can't have access to, right? Mm -hmm. We have to have some kind of polarity or some kind of duality around that. Mm -hmm. And these guys are depressed. These guys are addicted. They have multiple addictions. Usually number one addiction is to porn. Mm. Number two is to alcohol or weed. Number And they're codependent. It's literally, I'm okay if she's okay. How many of you guys have been in relationships like that? How many women have been in relationships where you feel like, man, he's not really checking in with me to see if I'm okay. He's checking in with me to see if he's okay. Yeah. 
He can't deal with conflict. He, and he's using these things called covert contracts. And this is a whole topic that I love getting into because it fits. Men have them, women have them. We have them with each other. We have them with social media. We have them with God. We have them with the government. But a covert contract is like a one-way contract that, that only one of us knows about. So say for the example, at the end of this podcast, you're like, hey, thanks so much for coming on. And then like three days later, I email you and I'm like, I would love my $10,000 check. <laughs> you're like, well, good wait, luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, wait a minute, what are, what are you talking about? Or even worse, I don't even tell you. I'm just waiting. I'm like, every time I see you, like, well, hey, what's going on? Simmering and resentment that it's I have. Simmering and just rage and like, yeah, oh my God, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. This, this is the classic of the guy who mows the lawn, cleans the house, bathes the kid, and then his wife comes home and he's waiting for sex. And she comes in and is like, oh, sweet. Thanks so much for taking care of things. He's like, yeah, you're welcome. She goes in the bedroom and starts doing her thing. And he's like, what the fuck? Good boy points. Is that what you right? call it? Like, I earned all my yeah. good boy points. And then she comes out of the bedroom and is like, hey, what's the matter? You seem upset. And what do you think he says? I'm oh, fine. fine. Yeah. Yeah. Bam. Right. See, it's like this, uh, and, and the loop repeats. Arms, yeah. Right. And he's resentful. Yeah. And, he's, and she's like, "Why are you now? Now you're fighting about something else completely." Yeah. Because it's really this idea. Risk can lead to rejection. Rejection feels like abandonment. Abandonment feels like death. Mm. That's it in a nutshell. Right. And we and I, I have so much compassion because I remember. I literally remember my ex-wife saying, but what do you want? And a, like a voice in my head saying, do not say a fucking word. Like how <sighs> don't you dare say a word because if she doesn't like what you say, she may leave. And that's yeah. that. And, and I literally, and like, and then we put a gun in our mouths, don't we? And what do you know? What happened to me? My ex-wife left. I didn't end up committing suicide because I went to therapy but like the little part of me, the younger part of me that was like, no, 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 no. We can't be abandoned. That's, that's not, we don't know how to take care of ourselves. We don't know how to feed ourselves. We're like, yeah, yeah. That what was, was, was what was running the show. As opposed to now, when I was first dating my partner, sitting down and be like, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. This is what I love. This is what I need. I think you're really amazing. And if this doesn't work for you, that's okay. Because none of this is really going to change. This is truth. And her going, oh, thank you for being honest. Like, thank you for, for just putting your cards on the table and letting yeah. me see them and make an adult informed choice whether I want to be in relationship with you. You can operate in the open and she's allowed to then say what she wants because you can be like, mm, it's not working for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You both get to have agency. You both get to have choice. But that's terrifying. If, if I don't give you the choice, then I manipulate you into staying or I manipulate you into liking me. And it just, this, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work for either person. Eventually, who wants to be with someone? Have you ever seen the movie um, Coming to America? Yeah. Have you seen that movie? <laughs> yeah. Right? When he's like, no, no, no. But what kind of music do you like? And she's like, whatever music you like. He's like, well, what, what do you like to eat? It's like, whatever you like to eat. Can you imagine being in a relationship like that? Like, oh I would love that for like 45 minutes. I'd be like, here's the deal. We're going in the bedroom. Uh, and then afterwards, be like, no, no, no. I need something from you. Yeah. I need yeah. something. Give me something. And I, I tell guys, imagine if you found out that your friend, like a good friend of yours, like five years down the road, 
was like, hey, man, I just was really hoping you would give me some money someday. You're like, wait, that's why you invited me to the ball game. That's why you like hung out with me on weekends. That's why we went hiking. Like you wanted something for me. You didn't ask for it. Like I would be furious. I would be so upset. I would feel like, what have you been doing? You've just been like hanging out in my space, hoping that someday I give you something. That's not relationship, but yet that's the archetype of the nice guy right there. Building up the points to cash in, even though people don't know that you're not really connecting with them. So what is, I mean, what does that look like in society? What does that do to society? And why is it so important to kill the nice guy? What's the other side of that? One, it just decimates relationship, Mm. right? On all levels. So these guys end up getting hurt two or three times and they leave relationship. Like I've spent a lot of time in the past two years talking to men who aren't dating and aren't in relationship about their thoughts about relationship. They're like, I'm done with it. I'm over it. I'm tired of getting walked on. I'm tired of getting abused. I'm tired of getting left. I'm like, cool. Tell me a little bit about how you engaged in the relationship. I gave her everything. I made her my whole life. I literally changed my entire life for her. Like, cool. So you're a nice guy. Good. I'm going to put you in that category. Now, what does that do for women? You actually don't get to date someone who's real. You don't get to date someone who's authentic. You also don't get challenged. Nobody grows. Nobody risks. There is no intimacy. So that's on the relational level. Mm -hmm. But I guarantee you, that you take a nice guy out of the relationship sphere and you put him at work. And what does he do? He hides his ideas. He's not going to step up and be like, Hey guys, I think there's a better way to do this because that's the same risk he would have to take with, Hey Betsy, I think you're really hot. I'd love to go out with you. The same idea could, can lead yeah. to the same rejection, the same abandonment and, and death. death. Yeah. Right. I know, yeah. which is, it sounds far fetched, but really when you get down to it, that is the fear. It's biology. biology. Exactly. It's worth people listening to this actually pausing and being like, do you actually equate rejection with abandonment and death? Because we are, it's, it's an evolutionary design flaw. We haven't evolved past that, even though, you know, you'd be fine without the tribe. You could survive. You could feed yourself. But if you recognize that that's actually what's going on, if you're afraid of having, let's call them courageous conversations about what you actually want what's what's that coming from and i think that's worth people diving into as a discomfort practice for themselves what are you actually afraid of and is that real i'm not saying it's not valid but how real is that yeah or a social death right the Mm. fear is of ostracization or whatever the word is so it it leads to this collapse in men i say to I, i i talk to nice guys every day and say well what else are you doing nothing What's your mission? What's your purpose? What's your direction? Where do you want to go? What do you want to build in this life? And they're like, what are you actually fucking talking about? I have no idea what these words mean. They go, okay, cool. That's what we're missing societally. I'm a huge fan of relationship. I'm also completely okay if someone doesn't want to ever be in a relationship. That's fine. Go for it. Live live a great life. But yet, What is the joy that they're missing out on? What is the connection? What is the laughter? What is the growth? What is the magic that only happens in the relationship circle or in the relationship container, right? For men and women, we have this idea culturally that women are the only ones who benefit from relationship. And gosh, us men are just dragged in there, kicking and screaming, hoping to get regular sex. And then we end up with a ball and chain. Yeah. But I have grown so much in re- more in relationship than probably any other arena. 
Yeah. And that wouldn't exist if I was still stuck in the nice guy paradigm. Well, it's like going to the gym. Nobody like, okay, I love the gym. You love the gym. We all know this, but I love it, but it's uncomfortable, but I get what I want from it. Like I am loving my abs these days, you know, and that doesn't come from just sitting on my couch, eating popcorn, but also that when you increase your capacity for discomfort, and I said this in my yoga class tonight, you increase your capacity for everything else too, for joy, for comfort, for love. So by risking that thing that you're, you think is like death, you are also opening yourself up to heaven. I just think once you know the truth of that and feel the truth of that and understand how you get in your own way on that, oh man, what a, what a gift, yeah. what an adventure. Like yeah. dive into it because it's gonna be awful and awesome. I promise yeah. both. You know, you ask, what, what, is, what is the cost? Mm-hmm. I would say, let's flip that and go, what would the benefit be if we had millions of men all over the world who suddenly had an increase in confidence and an increase in actual self-esteem? What would the, the benefit of that be? How would that affect addiction rates? How would that affect abuse rates? How would that affect creativity and ideas mm-hmm. and, the, and the forwarding of society? What would that do to like the gross national joy? What would that do to satisfaction? What would that do to sleep rates? What would that do to, and then we'll say at the very end of that, what would that do to relationship? How many people want to be in a great relationship, but just haven't found it or just haven't had the skill or the wherewithal to actually create one? Because their self-esteem says, who am I to have a partner that loves me? Who am I to have a partner that sticks with me? Who am I to have a partner that challenges me and then actually stays as I grow? Like, I don't know how to quantify that. I truly don't. But I imagine it would radically shift all culture. It would shift every, and health-wise, just think of the health effect of a guy who wakes up in the morning, looks in the mirror, hates himself, has to lie and be a chameleon in order to feel like he's okay in the world. As opposed to a guy who wakes up, looks in the mirror and goes, I'm really proud of you. I really love you. You're doing hard shit and you're a fucking rock star. Good for you. All right, let's go do some stuff. <sighs> he's not egoic. It's not like he's, he's, you know, he's not, he's not this persona. He's not overly macho. He just actually feels okay in his own skin. What would that do to depression rates? What would that do to anxiety rates? How many of these guys have kids? What would that, how, what different level of a father would that make them? Right. So it's like, it's change everything. That's why I'm so hell bent on pushing it and diving into it because the more I see it and the more I talk to people with it, the more I realize how much pain they're in and then how much pain they're creating. It's about being allowed to be truthful. Like when you do hit a home run, you get to be honest about it. When you do have a desire, you get to be honest about it rather than having to live in stress and adrenal fatigue and addiction. I kept making these satisfied noises while you were saying that because I keep thinking, (gasps) ah, that is, I just feel like I can exhale. I feel safer thinking about a world like that where I don't have to walk down the street worried about, you know, knowing what's going on around me at all times because you just never know when somebody's going to fly out of nowhere and assault you. I got assaulted on the street last, last summer here in Barcelona, just minding my own business. And it just, yeah, I, I, people don't understand. Okay. Men don't understand 
what it's like to be a woman in the world and just never feel safe. Right. And and I know a lot of men don't either because, you know, yes. it's really. it's from this kind of stuff where it's just total repression of self and being taught to right. despise everything about yourself. And that's going to come out somewhere, somehow, in a oh, not good it. way. Yeah. It definitely is. Yeah. So I've got to ask, who do you learn from? Like, who's part of your discomfort practice? Who are your discomfort mm. running buddies? I know who a few of them are, but yeah, who are your... Who are your expanders? I mean, you know them, right? This I, I'm in men's groups with with Connor Beaton, with Jeremy Goldberg, with Mark Groves, with Mike Campbell, uh, with Brandon Collinsworth, with Nick Onkin, um, with Dan Harrison. With I have my own guys here in Denver who I meet with in person, whose names you wouldn't know. I have other guys who I go and seek out and go, "Hey, man, this is my life. Tell me where my blind spots are." right? Like I have, I'm so fortunate to be around guys who literally will say, I think you're full of shit. (laughs) I think that story you just said was full of shit. And you're just trying to cover up for the fact that you actually don't want to admit X. I may be wrong, but I'm just going to slide that across the table and let you stare at it for a few minutes. Right? Like that, that is invaluable to someone in my position who the potential to abuse power, to abuse my platform, to let it all go to my head, right? The brighter the light, the deeper the shadow. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's so valuable to be around guys who go, hey, let's, let's, let's just peek in your shadow for a little bit. Because everybody, and guess what? Every guy I named, they all have their own shit. They have their own shadow too. Of course. And so we're all in this together. And it's, it's such a powerful idea to say, huh, I know what it's like to build. I, I remember Betsy when at the end of my marriage and my business had, had transitioned and I was like on rock bottom and I was sitting at dinner, this beautiful family had invited me over. He was, uh, he was like in finance. She was a therapist mm-hmm. and she asked about the growth of this is my old business, the gym. She asked about the growth of it, how fast it grew and how it took me from being an acupuncturist who no one knew to essentially a public writer and semi-public figure. And she just went, Jesus Christ, you should have been in therapy from day one. <laughs> that is a wise friend. <laughs> and I went, oh my God, you're right. Shit. I didn't have the capacity to handle any of this. Yeah. And I didn't have anyone around me who was going through the same idea of like, wow, now thousands of people can either tell me they love me or hate me based upon something I published. No, I didn't have a Jeremy Goldberg. I didn't have someone to be like, hey man, someone's making nasty comments on my Instagram and have them be like, good. That means they're, you're affecting them. I didn't yes. have a Connor Beaton. I didn't have these beautiful people in my life who were in the same place going, well, I remember the first time it happened to me and here's what I went through. And me going, oh, I'm not an anomaly. I'm not alone. Right. So, so that's, that's, I'm so I'm blessed to have so many men and probably 50 more who I didn't name who, if I did, you wouldn't know, but they are just rock star men. And yeah. I teach with Dewey Freeman and Michael Gay, who are like world renowned therapists yeah. who I can get on the phone with anytime and be like, I don't know. I feel like masturbating nine times in the next 15 seconds, but I'm not sure why you guys have any insight into this. Like what happened yesterday? Um, I crashed an ATV, but I can't put the two and two together because I'm a dude. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you just admitted that. 
Yep. Yep. You're not the only man I know who's like. It's I, still I, in here. There's still a little bit of dude in here. That's like, <laughs> huh. that's weird. I'm not sleeping. Um. <laughs> I'm not sleeping. I'm stressed. I, I, I'm seriously dealing with the trauma of having nearly well, thought I killed my partner. You know yeah. what? I'm just going to numb out. I, I'm going to turn on some porn. Yeah. 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 So I, I have too. like, so I'm so well covered. And, and one of the reasons I created the nation was because I watch guys come in, make a post on a public, on a private forum and say, Hey, my wife left last night. I don't know what to do. Hmm. And 25 guys comment and go, Hey, can I get on the phone with you today? Hey, I went through that two years ago. Can I get on the phone with you? Hey, you mind if we hop on a phone call? And then two weeks later, having that guy repost again and saying, Hey, the last two weeks have been the hardest of my life but I actually feel better than I have in years because I didn't know I had this level of support. Now, I don't want guys' wives leaving, but I want everybody, every man on the planet to just once experience what that's like. To go, oh, I'm allowed to fall and all of these strong-ass hands are going to catch me. Mm. That's the game changer right there. That's the fucking game changer. Can we just pause and say to masculine people listening to this podcast not necessarily male what would that feel like in your body if you knew that if you had a shitty day or if you needed help 25 people would offer to call you 25 men would offer to call you mm -hmm. what would that feel like can you even compute that in your body in your nervous system right now what would that feel like because i mean it's not just men because no, I, for the first time ever, I mean, I've been blessed to have a lot of very good, beautiful friends and people in my tribe over the years, but I have a personal board. So if you don't know what a personal board is listening to this, it's like having your own personal board of directors and mm -hmm. my coach and her organization, they work with executive women. And so they curate these boards. And so it's me and four other women around the world who are all at like a high level in our careers. And the biggest feeling that I came away with, and this was a lot of, a few of us after that first meeting was, I'm not on my own. I don't mm -hmm. have to do this by myself mm -hmm. anymore. Cause I think it's one thing to have emotional support as a woman. I'm more comfortable mm -hmm. with that. But in terms of like operating more in my masculine, in my world of running a business and, you know, having multiple businesses and multiple things that I do, just thinking I had to do it on my own. And suddenly I'm like, <gasps> these are women I respect. You know, they've got mm. corporate careers, they've got finance careers, they're entrepreneurs, and I am not alone. So I can really relate to the power of that right now in my life. I'm like, whoa, that feeling of knowing you. And, and one of them, I was on the phone with her today and she was like, she called me on something. And she was like, mm. you know, I think you could do that differently. I think you could say mm. that differently. Here's what mm. you should do, practice this. And, and mm. I just, it was all smiling and with love. And it was like, the smack to the face that I absolutely needed. And it was wonderful. Mm. It didn't offend me in the least because I was like, she cares. And it mm -hmm. just felt so good. So mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I think if you're a female or um, a feminine person listening to this podcast, it's not, it relates to everybody. We all yeah, need to feel sure. held and supported, right? For sure. Especially right now. Especially yeah. right now. And especially given a culture where I don't live on a street with my parents and my cousins and my grandparents and there, and I don't live there anymore. And for culture, we don't do this mm. and we don't have, you know, a week before, I don't know if I, if I said this in the last interview, a week before the pandemic, cause we didn't know it was going to happen. 
my assignment to the guys in the nation was I want you to go knock on five doors on your street and just shake hands, introduce yourself, say, hi, I'm Steve. I live over there. If you ever need anything, I'm here. This was, and we had no idea that the pandemic was coming, but just say, Hey guys, cause I remember asking them how many of you know your neighbors and it was like 10%. Like the, this, this isn't the way it used to be. And so that intuitively we know on some level, we know that like, huh, I don't know these people. And if I did know them, I would feel better. So a lot of us have to reach out to the online world or to a different world to get humans because we travel, we're nomadic, or just because people aren't knocking on doors anymore and introducing themselves. Yeah. And you're not going to live in the same home for 40 years like your parents may have. So it makes connection even more valuable. Yeah. Or you live in a country where it's not your native language. You were just in Costa Rica and I live in Spain. And yes, it makes interacting with your neighbors a lot harder when you just sound like a four-year-old all the time. <laughs> Take it from me. I was having a long conversation with a neighbor a couple of days ago and I was like, oh my God, thank you for correcting my Spanish. Nice older lady neighbor. But wow, do I feel dumb. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's harder to connect. So a lot of my tribe is online as well. And there's, it's yeah. just how things are now. And it doesn't mean you aren't connected and it's mm -hmm. not valid. So yeah, hop on some of these communities. If you think there's nothing in your area, there are so many communities you can be part of. If you're listening to this and craving that, mm -hmm. don't just think about it. Get off, like press pause right now or at the end of this podcast, go find something on Google. The world is yours. And mm. if this has landed with you, mm. that is important to listen to because we all need connection now more than mm. ever. But also it's how we're wired as humans. We need each other. We crave yeah. each other. We are better with each other. So I'm going to invite you to tell us one final thing. What do you want to leave us with, Traver? Because I have to end somewhere. I don't want to end this conversation, but we have mm. to end somewhere. So, you know, I'll have you back again, obviously. Maybe with a ten thousand dollar check. Mm. <laughs> but what would you like to leave people with? Believe. I'm just gonna use that. Like, actually, stop. Take a moment and believe. Believe in what you're. Believe in the idea you had five years ago. Believe in the little whisper. Believe in that little heart flutter. That's like, man, this could be different. I could do better. I could do different. I could, I could, maybe I could. Before I really was working only with men or heavily with men, I was in a space of tell me your idea. Tell me this thing that lights you up, right? Tell me about the opportunity that you're so scared to take because you know, inevitably it's going to change your life. Whether it's quitting, drinking, starting a business, writing a book, asking her out, asking him out, going to the gym, like just folks, like if, if you have, if you did have that mirror shown up to your face of like, wow, this all does end. And man, things can change on a dime that are completely out of my control. Yeah. Then what an opportunity to say, I'm not waiting any longer. The best time to plant a tree, right? When was that? 20 years ago. Second best time is today. So just take a moment, like, please like go in the mirror, look in your eyes and say, thank you. I believe in you. And if I haven't believed in you much in the past, I'm going to start doing it today. I don't care if you're a man, woman, in between, however you identify, I don't give a fuck. What we need right now is an epidemic of people believing in themselves. 
no matter how big the idea, no matter how small the idea. We get that and all of this cultural bullshit goes away. We stop being addicted to the drama of social media. We stop being addicted to the drama of the media. We stop being addicted to all the things that are keeping us from believing in ourselves because doing so would mean change. I'll leave you with that. Trevor Bohm, you are a delight. You are a legend. I love getting to swear with you and enjoy <laughs> your wisdom. Like you just, Thank you. you bring me all the things. Thank you for having me. I truly appreciate you. I truly appreciate you. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your traverness. It's, you, you are, you are a force, man. I love it. Well, thank, thank you. you so much. And uh, if you're listening and you want more Traver, listen to Traver's podcast because it is, <laughs> I assure you, awesome. Uh, Google some of those names he mentioned, uh, you know, Connor Beaton, Mark Groves, etc. It is a laundry list of wise men putting great mm. content into the world. There's a lot there. So I'm probably going to put a lot of stuff in the show notes and I am going to look forward to seeing how this lands in the world because somebody needs to hear this. So mm -hmm. if that's you, get in touch, let us know. We will pass it along to Traver. And it is my privilege to, to be here with you, Traver, and to be here with you, whoever you are listening to this. So thank you for your time. Thank you guys. Take care. Thanks for getting uncomfortable with me. If you enjoyed this episode, follow and like The Discomfort Practice wherever you listen to podcasts, leave me a five-star and written review, and share this with other people. Help me to reach new audiences with this idea that consciously practicing discomfort helps us to individually and collectively discover our superpowers and create a society and a planet where everyone can thrive. Thank you so much to my guests all season. Go back and listen to a few more episodes to hear more of them. They are wonderful humans doing amazing things in the world. Thanks to my team who helped me produce this podcast and for those who inspire me through their writing, their conversation, and their support. So that's all from me for now. Follow me on Instagram at the Betsy Reed if you want to get to know me a bit better, some of my thoughts. And in the meantime, stay uncomfortable.